Are you ready to learn? Because my super experienced guests are ready to share some really valuable information. Make sure and listen all the way to the end to get help and support. So let's start with the best audio experience. Hello, guys. Welcome to our show. Good people, welcome. By the way, I don't want to discriminate bad people. Welcome to our show as well. Anyone who want to learn more about uh, Core Web Vitals, about JavaScript, it's better to stay tuned because many great skills are coming. And I'm so excited to discuss this topic with Carly Richmond. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm excited to learn more about <laughs> that. I know how it's important today because of Google. <laughs> we need to optimize our websites to get more traffic and results. Before we start, just tell more about yourself, experience, background, and why you decided to share with us about Core Web Vitals. Yeah, sure. So as you said, I'm Carly Richmond. I am a developer advocate at Elastic, but my background is very much as a front-end developer. And being a front-end developer means that I'm very interested in the user experience side of things. Are my users getting a good experience, a performant experience when they're using my applications? which obviously with Core Web Vitals means that the user experience and SEO domains, domains kind of collide. Um, so it's something that I've been learning more about, particularly since I moved to Elastic in April, um, and how you can use tools such as real user monitoring and other things available in Elastic and other tools to try and, and help you answer mm -hmm. some of those questions. Mm -hmm. Nice, nice. Uh... Can you tell what kind of uh, advantages Elastic Tool uh, has uh, compared to other tools that we have online? Because, you know, for example, I usually check out Google Search Console. It's the mm -hmm. first place where I check out anything. Then I can uh, jump on other tools. So share uh, advantages of your tool and uh, how it can, uh, I don't know, provide more insights for uh, SEO specialists and web developers. Yeah, sure. So I think one of the things I've certainly observed in the time that I was a developer and also now is that we really need to keep an eye on these vitals at all stages through development, but also against our live application as well. And often we tend to focus either too late or too early because it, well, if you're building out and you're making changes to your site, well, the fact of the matter is that you can potentially put changes in through the go live in production that can cause a degradation in your core web vitals, which impact your experience and also impact your SEO. So, for me, I think there's two things. I still advocate using Google Lighthouse. So you talked about using the Chrome DevTools and, and running the, the experience report. You can use Google Lighthouse on a pipeline as a developer so that you can actually grab those whenever you make changes to the site before you're, when you're pushing it through the pipeline. Um, but then you can also use what's called Elastic Real User Monitoring against the live production traffic. So in addition to getting your core web vitals across legitimate user experience and traffic, i.e. what they're actually doing and be interacting with your site, you're also able to see other interesting insights such as, you know, um, accesses over time, browsers, all sorts of other information that you can use to find out information about how people are actually using your site, which then can be something that feeds back in to improve it and make it better. So, for example, if you're seeing a degradation in a particular browser, you'll be able to see that off of the live real user monitoring, but you won't be able to see that against a Google Lighthouse or Chrome developer tools because you're running potentially as a time span yourself what you think a user is doing versus what they might actually be doing. 
Mm-hmm. Nice, nice. Love it. Uh, Carla, I have the question about uh, improving not website, uh, but how to improve uh, cooperation between SEO specialists and web developers. Because, you know, uh, uh, once I found interesting tweet that only 40% of all recommendations are implemented. So most of them ignore. And uh, many uh, clients ask uh, how to get 100% uh, with page speed insights or a green line, something like this. But I see when web developers can't implement all changes, can't fix all technical errors, probably we don't need it because many websites in the top 10 uh, also have these errors. Uh, but can you tell about uh, fixing critical errors and how to uh, cooperate with developers and tell them, please fix these critical errors. It's important for me to get this traffic because, um, you know, I, I often get a reply, something like this. Uh, I don't know. It's impossible. We can't do it because of this content. So m- many such excuses. Probably they are right. I don't know. But uh, from your experience, tell how to get much higher results uh, and how to give a solid reason, you know, for web developers to fix as maximum as possible. Mm, it's a hard one because I think we see this as kind of opposing sides rather than really being on the same team, um, which is kind of you know not the not the most ideal thing in the world. I mean, my, a lot of my experience is based on in building sites for internal customers that work within the same company as I do, but the problem is still the same, and irrespective of where your customer is, you still have individuals raising issues that need to be prioritized. The thing that I've always found is that, particularly for a developer in my domain, is that if I have data and I have an understanding about why something is important, then that makes it far more easy to prioritize and kind of have a meeting of the minds to figure out what we do. But we also both, both sides of the fence, SEO, developer, anyone who's interested in this conversation, we need to kind of come together to find an agreement. And that might sound a bit strange, I think, you know, sometimes developers have the, the quintessential stereotype of, of not wanting to speak to other people. But the reality is that we just want to kind of do the best that we can. So my honest advice is, you know, we should be discussing together using data, which you can get from things like real user monitoring. You can get from Lighthouse. You can get from these other domains and discuss the data together. That means that you then can form, you know, a common approach of how you're going to solve it together. Because one of the the things on the developer side is they've probably got this huge list of other things that seem to be more important. And it's your item or your concern is just going to slap right down onto the bottom. So it's about giving enough information on both sides to have a common resolution, but also an understanding of where that item sits in relation to what's there. So it's about both sides owning owning the, um, the solution, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I think so. <laughs> but you know, each case is different as well. Okay, yeah. uh, can you share your uh, checklist? How to check out a website? For example, if you get a new customer and uh, uh, you need to fix as much as possible. So your checklist, what you do first, second, third, uh, and all steps. Sure. So if I've got a site that I've been given at the moment, um, the first thing I'm going to want to know is what is the expectation of kind of usage, you know, are they expecting this to be a site that has multi-device support, for example, or is that less important? Some demographics that might be. Um, I also want to know about if there's any particular kind of, you know, 
key periods where you know the site needs to be static because if I'm going to be making a bunch of changes to something and actually they've got a, a big selling period up like Black Friday would be a really good example it's probably not the best time for me to be making massive breaking changes against the site so knowing about mm. the expectations of stability is very important measuring the core web vitals as they currently are is the key important one which is obviously what we're talking about today so obviously the the key three um which has been talked about i think in prior episodes of your podcast would be um your first input delay your largest contentful paint and then the cumulative layout shift and we can maybe chat later about why those are are certainly important um what else would i talk about I think other things about a general idea of the performance and the workflow is useful. Um, why things have been set up the way they are with regards to any simple or complex workflows that have been coded into the site itself. Um, and then just what are their aspirations about where they want to take it next? Because um, it's very important to know where they are as well as where, where they are intending to go. And how everything else is set up, you know, where's the deployment, all these other kind of technical details I would probably need to know about as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, awesome. Um, I remember when Brian Dean uh, shared a uh, little article about uh, uh, when he uh, tested uh, to uh, decrease uh, or even, uh, yeah, to decrease uh, uh, web development uh, or uh, core web vitals. Uh, but uh, you know uh, what he did okay let's explain uh, another way he um, uh, cut some images he uh, mm -hmm. decreased the quality of these images he took away some features uh, mm -hmm. but improved results with core web vitals uh, and uh, tested for some time uh, i don't remember exactly like three weeks or one month and after mm -hmm. that he got it nothing changed uh, ranking positions didn't change but mm -hmm. uh, he uh, user experience changed and people uh, bounce more faster uh, more often so can you tell how to find the balance between uh, ux uh, mm -hmm. what people actually see on your website and uh, core web vitals for example uh, if uh, i get uh, the recommendation uh, i need to remove some features but i yeah. know it's important for my users it's important for customers. I can't do mm -hmm. it. Uh, okay, if I can, but I can lose them. So uh, tell your points about that. What to do if I get some uh, such errors about my features? So my advice generally is always listen to your users. If there's particular feedback they're giving you that something is imperative, that it needs to be there. Because Core Web Vitals, it's really easy when we find that we have a measure for user experience that we say that, well, we have to have it within the range 100% of the time. It's got to be within our defined limits. It's meant to be a guide. It's meant to be something that we kind of follow to improve our site over time. But other factors will, will impact how your site is constructed. So for example, Core Web Vitals, one limitation is how it's not a great measure when it comes to dealing with areas with low bandwidth, for example. In those instances, you might need to make different decisions, which are not necessarily driven by your Core Web Vital numbers, it's driven by your user feedback. Mm -hmm. So I always find user feed Core Web Vitals are a guide, your rankings are a guide, it's your customers and the growth of the customers that you're getting. Is that in line with what you expect is really what you should be focusing on? So 
it's more around seeing with your core web vitals if it's you've got a target to get to or if you know you see a sudden spike when you've introduced a new feature maybe your lcp number has went through the roof off the back of a new feature and you need to rework that to try and get it closer to where you would like to be you use it as a guide to make sure that you're still giving a, a good experience to a user but then with real user monitoring, you can see other things like, well, is the traffic levels dropped? Does that mean that less people are coming to my site? Therefore, can I see and discuss with people why that is? Are they giving me feedback that there's a high number of errors coming back? Can I see that within my real user monitoring error console, for example? Being able to pick up these negative experiences and fix those is probably more important than chasing to the lowest level of these core web vital numbers. So my advice is always listen to your users, always think about, you know, what the experience is going to be from more of a benchmark side of things um, and use that to really drive it forward because then the other results will come as a result. Yeah, nice, nice. Love your advice. <laughs> Great advice. Uh, okay, I have the question about uh, some mediocre content that might appeal on my website, but I can't remove it. Uh, because, uh, you know, uh, some websites have content like press releases or uh, short news. Uh, yeah. It's obsolete for some time, but I can't remove this content because of the policy, because of many other things, uh, because even uh, of links that uh, I earn with this content. So tell what to do if I have this content and it, it might impact uh, the entire website because Google doesn't like when we have uh, uh, content with low quality, but mm -hmm. I still need this content. So any tips what to do? So what we tend to do, at least if, you've, if anyone's seen the Elastic blogs and content and the documentation content, is we will have banners at the top that will make reference to the fact of, so a good example is, is this an older version? Is this an older filing? Or has this got information that's potentially out of date? It's important to flag that information at the top banner. Um, there's not much else I can think of at this time as to what you would do but my key thing is you would flag it somehow because it still needs to remain up there might be legal reasons you have to keep it up socks those other reasons that you mentioned but ultimately it's about informing the user informing everybody what the the issue is so having that kind of disclaimer at the top to make sure that's probably the the right thing to do I would say but have you found anything else that has worked in your side uh I think uh, I, I thought about canonical. For example, if yeah. I create canonical URLs from this uh, URLs to main topics, I don't know. Yeah. So probably, yeah. I, I can yeah. save some uh, links that I have. I can uh, show Google that uh, this page uh, appeals because of some reasons, but uh, the main page is here. So yeah, yeah <laughs> I'm testing this one. Yeah, which works, I think, if you have, obviously, um, so I guess my particular experience of canonical links is relation to my blog. So I have it posted in Medium for existing viewership, but then I've also got it published on my website, which came later. So I will use a canonical link of what is the true source, which would be my website, to make sure that I'm not degraded by the Medium post, because obviously Google, as you say, will flag it as duplicate content. Um, so yeah, that's true. That is another way that you can get around it. But obviously, it's making the assumption that the content is the same kind of thing in two places. Mm -hmm, yeah. Uh, okay, let's talk about the strategy that I used 10 years ago. 
Uh, and uh, I don't know it works today or not. I think it depends. But for example, uh, when I had an online shop, uh, I optimized my uh, pages uh, with uh, many long tail keywords. For example, uh, let's imagine, uh, I don't know, uh, men t-shirt blue man t-shirt uh, red man t-shirt uh, any other color size something like this do you think it's a good idea today to uh, add all these filters to uh, separate urls and uh, index them on google or it's better to pay attention to a specific url the, the main item uh, probably the best selling or anything else so uh, any advice about that i think it depends on in terms of user activity, where you're intending people to go within your website itself. Because I can see the potential of, if you start referencing and indexing all of your subdomains, that you might draw attention to sites, portions of your website that perhaps you're not wanting people to go to initially as the first port of call. So you need to be very careful with considering that in terms of indexing, in terms of if you go down any kind of sponsored link side of things. You need to think about where are the key parts of your application of your web application where you want people to go. So mm -hmm. I would consider those carefully and optimize for those pages rather than optimizing for the other ones, particularly going back to what you said before about perhaps older content that's maybe no longer as important or no longer as relevant. You wouldn't want to draw users to that. So you would try to minimize the use of filtering and keywords on that as much as possible compared to the other sections where you really want people to go. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, let's talk about migration. Uh, for example, if some brands decided to uh, rebrand their name to buy a new domain name for some reasons. So uh, how to uh, migrate uh, the old website to new domain without losing ranking positions, uh, links or anything else? Uh, because, you know, it's a big issue. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I still uh, get uh, errors uh, a lot of errors when we migrate websites we can't get back all ranking positions we can't get back uh, all traffic uh, but sometimes we need it so can you tell how to minimize the risk of losing ranking positions uh, and uh, probably links that we deserve to old pages so i don't have that much experience on that so i'm going to have to kind of mm -hmm. do a bit of thinking on my feet for this one okay. um, <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, I guess the main things are obviously first thing, probably sending a notification to key search engines. You can do that normally by kind of making a request for indexing. So I would certainly be considering for my new domain, I'd be contacting them and saying, look, this is the new one. Potentially there's something they can do on their side to kind of optimize for things like that or make sure that you're perhaps taking some of your ranking attributes with you rather than starting from scratch which is clearly the maybe the problem that you've talked about that you've had is that right um mm -hmm. so that's the first thing you've also got to consider a period of time of redirection so perhaps you need to have both urls alive for a while and redirect to the same source that's another thing maybe to think about as well um, mm -hmm. And I, I guess the final thing is you're probably going to have a period of time where you need to inform. The, the bigger problem is you do have rankings and stuff, but you also want to make sure that your existing customers know where you are and where to go when things change over. So it's important to obviously engage in some sort of regular communication to say, hey, we're moving, just to make sure that people actually know where to go in the future. Because when you lose your rankings, one of the things you don't want to lose is that obviously existing customer traffic as well. So it's important to try and balance those two things. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. Uh, okay, let's talk about another thing that I found on your LinkedIn profile, uh, <laughs> that you have experience with uh, technical writing. Can you tell what kind of technical <laughs> writing you do, uh, where people can learn your technical writing to get some valuable insights? So more about any technical writing, because it's important for my audience now to know uh, something new that coming in our niche. <laughs> Yeah, sure. So there's a pu- couple of places. Um, so I started doing technical writing, mainly related to my experiences uh, while I was working as a developer within banking. Um, so a lot of my um, content is related to topics like agility, front end development. And it was topics that I would come across as I was working as a developer, because I think the best tech writing is normally informed from experience. Um, not just about relaying a set of instructions of how to build or do something. There's definitely a need for tutorials, but you also want to know the gotchas when you're starting out and you're trying to learn. Um, So the first advice I'd have for tech writing is I started out on Medium first, which worked great for a while. It made it really accessible to get started, but eventually you want to own that content yourself. So you'll probably want to consider once you're more established and more comfortable and you've got a regular cadence of content coming out, you know, um, have it on its own site, own domain with any of your other content that you have. And certainly I have that, I have carlyrichmond.com. That's where all of my blog content is. It's also where you can see my talks and my other publications. Having everything there is really important and uh, something that I still do. But now that I work at Elastic, I also make contributions on the Elastic blog as well, particularly if it's anything to do with Elastic or any of the products and solutions that we have. Um, And it's important to consider the the demographic and the voice changes that might be different. So on my personal blog, obviously, I can be a bit more a bit more personal. But on the Elastic blog, the content might differ slightly and the voice might differ slightly because you know, obviously on company blogs, they might have a, a style guide that you have to adhere to as a technical writer. So it's definitely worth kind of bearing those kinds of things in mind. Um, but that still means you can have a, a personal voice and be yourself because most of the time these rules are not restrictive. It might be to do with particular things like um, tips on voice, passive versus active voice, those kinds of things. Um, and ultimately, if you keep writing regularly, that's how you get to be a better writer. It's also how people start finding where you are because they'll see a blog and then they might follow you. And then you can start seeing other content coming out from that individual via RSS feeds or even through kind of other simple follower mechanisms. Um, and it's uh, there's always everyone always has something interesting to say. Everyone's experience is unique. So I would definitely give that advice of don't be scared by, you know, putting your voice out there because there's going to be someone that's going to be interested in what you have to say. Nice. Love it. Love it. Especially when you mentioned about you need to write more. <laughs> you need to spend time with writing. You, yeah. you know, uh, once I had a conversation with Jim Edwards, he mm-hmm. Has been working many years in Business Insider. Um, uh, he started on this company from scratch. Then they sold company for five hundred million dollars. You know, thousand employees. And he shared with me the main secret was to write non-boring content. You no, know, yeah. uh, if we are talking about business, 
uh, in most cases, it's boring. You know, uh, I love <laughs> business books, but most of books are good for sleeping. You know, when you have the problem with sleeping, you can take the book, read for a while and sleep well or might don't remember anything from this book. So <laughs> can you tell your writing uh, methods how to write non-boring content in web development niche, you know, because, you know, yeah. I often uh, get uh, the question uh, how you can uh, love marketing. It's boring. No, it's not boring. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's not boring if you can uh, create something non-boring. So tell your insights how to write non-boring text in web development. <laughs> so I think on web development, I think the important thing to know and you kind of touched on it yourself when you talked about, you know, I find marketing yeah, sure. interesting, but others don't, right? You need to think about the audience. What is the target audience for the content you're, talk you're tending to write? I think when I started, it was really easy because it was more, I wasn't thinking about my audience and what they would like to read. I was thinking more about what I wanted to say. And that's great when you're trying to establish a pattern and kind of improve writing, your writing more generally. Um, but it doesn't, it doesn't translate to other fields. So if I'm writing content on the Elastic blog, I'm not wanting to bore people. I want people to read it and find it engaging and interesting. But there's a particular audience that will go to view content on web development and real user monitoring and the other topics I talk about on either my personal blog or on the Elastic blog. So I need to think of that audience and what they would be interested in. That's the first thing. So know who your audience are know who you want to target with a piece and think about that carefully before you start. Also think about what are the takeaways that you want them to be left with. Is it, you know, to inform them about new features, for example? Is it more around expressing an opinion? Is it a call to action? Do you want them to do anything off the back of reading your content? You need to think about what the key takeaway is for them and try and limit it to no more than three, three or four or five things. If you've got much more than that, most likely it's going to be a really long, really heavy piece and they're going to get bored. So think about limiting the number of takeaways that you have. And then also look and see if there's anything similar out there. Is this content that's already been done? So one good example I have um, recently when we did the real user monitoring is it was an existing piece on the Elastic blog. So rather than write about all the new features that were in that, that space since it changed, what we did instead was we actually updated that content with new, the new information, updated screenshots, updated examples, rather than trying to write something else. Because especially when you're writing content, it's really easy to write tons of new stuff and keep the old stuff not up to date and then you can end up with coming back to the problems you talked about earlier out of date or inaccurate information that you then have to struggle with to try and see how you can have it removed from your site so it's also important as a writer that you keep things as up to date as you can yeah awesome yeah you remind me uh, uh tim cook from apple when he presented yeah. uh, new apple watch and he didn't share features you know of this apple watch because all many many other watches have the same features uh, mm -hmm. uh but he shared three stories how apple watch can help uh, you 
how Apple Watch can decide your problems, how it can simplify your life. Uh, he shared three stories. And after that, I got the feeling that I need to own this Apple Watch. I bought three pairs for me, for my son, for my wife, because now they probably kill me if I uh, buy it myself. Mm-hmm, <laughs> right now, uh, the Atlantic Ocean owns my Apple Watch, uh, so things happen. But, you know, it's interesting, after uh, getting this presentation, I got the feeling of owning. I need to have it, you know, I need mm-hmm. to feel them on my hand. So, uh, yeah, uh, I agree. In, of course, it's important to share features, but you need to touch emotions, not logic. Logic, you can uh, touch uh, in the end or uh, to submit, but in most cases, yeah, it's important to uh, touch emotions, then people will buy and uh, will get this feeling, you know, <laughs> to mm-hmm. own yeah. it. Okay. Kale, I have the question about uh, common mistakes. Can you list common mistakes that we masters still do and how to find a much better way today uh, when you uh, optimize with core web vitals? So I think the common issues that I see are, there's a couple. So the first one is, and I think we kind of touched this on at the start, being so focused on your numbers that you lose sight of what the objective is. I mean, if we take the um, the three main core web vitals, these are meant to be indications of a user experience to guide you and to give you an indication that something is wrong. So rather than focusing on, oh, I have to get below two and a half seconds for my LCP, we're really not, fo- we should be focusing more on what it's teaching us, if it's jumping, as I said. Um, so, it's important to remember that these are a guide and they're not like a a hard and fast rule. The second problem I see people using, uh, issue people have particularly with core web vitals that I've seen is that they're not measuring them at all. Now, we might think this is a weird thing to say in 2022, given the prominence of them, but actually um, I found a lot of people are not even aware of core web vitals and not just the web developer community, but even on some marketing circles as well. It's something that's gaining traction, but the fact of the matter is if you don't know about it, you're not going to be able to monitor for these things. So that's probably issue number two. <laughs> issue number three is if they know about it and they're not measuring it, not just you know against the live traffic, like we talked about doing with real user monitoring tooling within observability spaces, but also you need to measure it as early as you can and track differences. So often we'll use it as a snapshot Or we will only start measuring these when we get a complaint from a user saying, wow, your site is really slow. What's going on with that? We should be measuring them through the good and the bad. So don't see them as, you know, something to try and knock on your door when something is wrong. You need to measure it over time consistently. You need to track how it changes and evolves over time. Um, Is there anything else? I think the final thing I'd say is only capturing them either at the live production traffic side or, you know, just at the, 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 the testing phase when changes are made to your site. You need to track it at both points because you want to be able to see the impact against users and you want to be able to see any change. So you, most people say they'll just take a snapshot at one point, but ideally you should be capturing it in those two places as well. Mm-hmm. Nice, nice. Uh, great tips. Okay, I have the question about choosing the right CMS. You know, sometimes 
we have limited possibilities because of uh, specific uh, CMS. For example, uh, I love WordPress because of open code, uh, bunch mm -hmm. of plugins, but uh, many websites have Wix, Shopify, many others. So uh, can you tell how to choose the right CMS according to our resources? Because I think all CMS have advantages, disadvantages, mm -hmm. but uh, tell how, how to choose the right one and your level CMS. So, I mean, I think you need to think about your use case to start with, with the CMS. Um, I know a lot of people not, particularly in developer community and developer logs, blogs, a lot of people will not run WordPress, but the reality is that if you don't have, you know, perhaps time to build something from scratch yourself, um, or you have other limitations, you should be going with whichever works for you. So first thing when picking a CMS is consider your use case, consider your domain. What do you want it to do? You also need to consider other aspects such as your pricing. Is it within what you want to do? Um, so for many who are doing uh, kind of personal blogs rather than an e-commerce site, they will have different expectations on costing. Um, the other thing is I would go and do your research. You need to go and see what the, the options are out there with regards to CMS. You need to make sure that you kind of balance between which one is more appropriate from you. Again, talking about those use cases, but you need to go and find out what, what is available to you, what the advantages and disadvantages are of them. Are there any restrictions perhaps in their usage? And for that, you need to sit down and do research before you go and select one. Um, just kind of similar to using any other particular technology for any domain. You just need to know those three things and hopefully you should be able to make an informed decision. And I guess the final thing is once you have selected one, you know, keep an eye on things for a while. Is it doing everything you thought it was going to do? Think back to those use cases. If you're starting to struggle or you're starting to find that maybe there's something out with more research that might be more appropriate, try and think carefully about what, what how you're going to switch if it's appropriate to switch those kinds of things and what the impact might be to your viewership or your customers, depending on what type of, of website it actually is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, nice. Uh, Charlie, I have the question about, uh, let's imagine you started from scratch without mm -hmm. any experience, knowledge, skills. What will you do today to learn more about uh, web development and core web vitals? So, <laughs> I think what's important, what I found through my kind of learning experience is that how you learn changes over time. It's dependent on your circumstances. It's dependent on your passion for the topic. Um, one of the ways that I've known that always works for me in my own personal style of learning is that getting my hands dirty and building a pet project is the best way for me to learn. And certainly I know for a lot of kind of technology, building things from scratch, um, learning JavaScript, learning HTML, learning CSS, so those core three is normally still a good place to start. And I would definitely recommend even building a simple, simple website to start with and try and get something hosted. Once you've done all of that, then you, you start to kind of grow in confidence. So definitely about application of practice. The second thing is about reading um, keeping an eye on what's out there. One of the scariest things to this day with web development is that 
it changes all the time. There's always new frameworks coming out. There's always new techniques, new ways of doing things. There's compatibility issues. There's um, certainly over the last 10 to 20 years, big significant changes in browsers. That means that it's a very difficult domain to keep on top of. Now, in one trail of thought, it's probably impossible to keep up with completely, but just keeping an appreciation of kind of sites that you would read to see what's going on or following people on particular social media platforms to learn. Those are the most important things to do. So keep reading about it, keep trying to find out more. Um, and also knowing when it's when is not the best time to learn something. So we all have personal circumstances, we all have things that pop up in our lives that sometimes mean that, you know, maybe now is not the best time to embark on a really ambitious personal project to learn this new framework or to build this new site from scratch. Um, be okay with taking that space if you need to. Um, be okay with contacting people for help and for advice, perhaps mentors or people you know in the industry that are able to help you. Um, be mindful of, of that help. Um, and also, once you, if you are going to take a break, you know, be mindful that people will still be there to help you when you go back as well. Mm -hmm. yeah, love it, love it. Um, I love all your tips. Let me tell you why. Because <laughs> you. now you started <laughs> from creating your website. Uh, I think mm -hmm. it's more important to learn something with practice. You know, when you practice, yep. Uh, you you can uh, improve your skills much better because um, people have uh, now short memory. They can forget about new skills uh, for a few days. I personally forget about uh, new skills for a few hours. You know, yeah. I don't need uh, a long time. You know, <laughs> so uh, but if you practice, you can improve your skills. You can memorize them, and uh, yeah, uh, for me, practice is more important than learning. I, I, I don't think it's a good idea to overlearn because yeah. uh, you can spend more time by practicing and uh, uh, practice only shows what actually works. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I totally agree. It's like, I don't know, uh, for example, uh, if I read a hundred books, how to play soccer. I, I never can beat Cristiano Ronaldo or Lionel Messi because they prepare <laughs> to hit the ball thousand times than uh, learning how to play soccer. You know, it, it's for any niche. You need to do something, but you can spend some time with learning, 20% uh, of your time, like, uh, but uh, not uh, more. So uh, I have the question about the future. Can you forecast the future in Core Web Vitals? Because many things are coming, metaverse, mm -hmm. uh, meta reality. We, we'll see how it looks, but uh, uh, what do you think? It's a good idea to... Uh, to get the skills today uh, because future can change anything. So uh, any tips about that? I think on that side of things, I think it's still important to learn these skills because when the next new thing comes along, you then have the confidence that you're able to learn that too. So core web vitals, obviously very specific to the web. Are they still going to be applicable to Metaverse? Are they still going to be applicable to Web3 Plus? I'm not so sure on that one personally, um, but I feel like there's probably going to be some equivalent metrics because Core Web Vitals really over the last few years have came out, out of a desire for us to be able to, to measure user experience, to measure in a quantifiable rather than a qualitative way how our users are perceiving our sites. 
So I think with any kind of new enhancement, we're going to need similar measures in time. And anyone who's working on these types of new advancements is probably going to consider that as well. So core web vitals, I imagine some form of extensions will, will come out. Um, I think there's still going to be the frame, the JavaScript framework emergence for quite a few number of years as well. Obviously, framework explosion over the last 10 plus years has been very challenging to keep up with, but I don't see that slowing down in terms of new technologies, frameworks, libraries and tools. I think that's still going to be there. What might change is how we interact with the web more generally. Um, you know, maybe we are going to be having more immersive experiences, you know, sitting at home with the, the headsets on. But um, particularly on the metaverse side of things, I think the, the cost of the equipment needs to come down. And I think the weight of them as well. Um, certainly when I saw a talk on metaverse equipment last year, it looked still like it's quite weighty stuff. Um, so, yeah. you know, sitting, using it every day to talk with your colleagues and stuff, I don't think is going to be happening immediately. I think it's coming, but I think certainly the the equipment needs to, to kind of become lighter, become cheaper for us to be able to all access, you know, have access to it. That's probably going to get us closer to the, the Ready Player One side of things, if anyone knows that book. <laughs> <laughs> love it. I love your insights, Carly. It's a big pleasure to get you on my show, to learn from you. Tell our audience the best way, how to reach out to you, how to learn more about you, how to follow you. Sure. So I'm on Twitter at Carly L. Richmond. My Mastodon is also pinned on there if anyone is making the move over to Mastodon. Um, I'm on LinkedIn as well if anyone wants to follow me uh, carlyrichmond.com is my blog and then obviously I work at Elastic so if you want to find out any more about Elastic Elastic Search or Observability and Seam Solutions and Enterprise Search as well elastic.co is the right place to go and I've got some blog content on there talking about how you can use Elastic for some really fun things as well so check it all out Nice. Guys, I follow Carly on LinkedIn. Um, I'm going to read a blog as well. Uh, <laughs> so I recommend 100% because you can see a lot of valuable insights. Okay, guys, love you. See you. Thank you again, Carly. No, big pleasure. I love all your insights. You, you know how to share value how to help and lead uh, to show the right direction for my audience. Uh, guys, you need to follow Carly and thank you for listening and watching us. Thanks for listening to this entire podcast. Please rank your experience in Apple, Spotify, Google, or any other platforms that you may use. Also, please share your ranking mark on chat at seotools.tv to get a special gift. We'll see you soon on other valuable audio podcasts.